Hi team, and thanks for tuning in to the Savvy Millennial Podcast, a community dedicated to successful and ambitious entrepreneurs. And today with us, we have JT Barnett, who went from a successful pro hockey career to becoming a social media guru. He's a serial entrepreneur and currently works with brands and creators on helping master and scale on social media. He has successfully scaled multiple accounts to hundreds of thousands and millions of views and followers, and definitely has a ton of value to share with all of you. If you're a creator, want to become one and scale on social media, or maybe you just want to know the insights and understand how it all works, this episode is for you. So let's just dive right in. Hi, JT. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here with us. Super excited to have you here and love all the content that you're creating. So for everyone who probably doesn't know you quite yet. Uh, Tell us everything. So you went from hockey to being social media marketing branding guru. So tell us about your journey. Yeah. So I uh, played professional hockey for five years, um, retired from pro hockey in 2017, got really quickly into what I would consider kind of like influencer work as a health and wellness and fitness professional. So I was personal training people it was really just like filming my workouts and all of that that comes along with that kind of life. And that built me a little bit of a profile. And then from there, we started a, a company that was like a health and wellness festival, which was called Reset, which went really well, but was an events-based company. So during the pandemic, that obviously got shut down. During the pandemic, TikTok was really heavily on the rise with houses like Hype House and Sway House and Charlie D'Amelio and just like People were spending more and more time on TikTok. And me as a creator, I was posting a lot more on TikTok to the point where I was really invested in it energy and time-wise. And one of my close friends in New York was like, like, why don't we try and move on this and do something that hasn't been done before and start the first adult TikTok house? There had been like Hype House and Sway House and like Clubhouse and like all these kind of like young creator houses that were popping off. But nobody had done it in an adult way. Like nobody had done it above the age of 25. And so we were like, let's do that. Let's get like the first 25 and up creator house on TikTok and have it be kind of like real world style where it's random people that maybe know each other a little bit, but also don't and like film challenges and different stuff like that, that they do in the house kind of competitive wise. And so that was what we did. It went from, it went really well from zero to a million followers in four months, really in 60 days of us actually doing it because we would do a month on, take a break for a month, do another month on. So in four months, a zero to a million. And that led us to January of this year, January of 2021. I just started getting approached by a lot of brands to start teaching them how to do TikTok. A lot of the brands that I had worked with before doing that health and wellness kind of festival and like just from mutual friends and knowing people in that world, a lot of them asking me like, I've seen what you've done with Honey House. Uh, which was the name of the adult house. What can you teach us about TikTok and how we can do it as a brand? And so I started teaching them and that went really well. A couple of them like had broken sales records from viral TikToks or had followings of like 200,000 in a couple of months. So I was like, this is, there's something here. This is something that I want to do. Like I can teach brands this and enjoy it. And so I started my agency a consulting agency where I specifically meet with brands and teach them how to create their own content. I don't actually film the content for them. I teach them how to do it themselves. And uh, that's gone really well. That's where I'm at today is like now my agency takes on and has a handful of clients 
that I teach organic content to and how to film them in-house along with pair them with creators that can become like the face of their brand. I kind of look at it like Flo from Progressive, Jake from State Farm, like somebody that's like the personality behind the camera for their TikTok. And I find that person for them and then hand them off to the brand for them to like run with. And those are the two things that I'm really focused on now, along with my own still being a personality, still being a creator myself. I'm trying to build my own following as somebody that gives creators both ideas, but also inspiration and like tactical tools so that they can build a business around themselves. Because I think my thesis is that all individuals have now with where we're at as a culture and with the tools of like different apps and startups and platforms, everybody can be a business themselves. And it's the best thing in the world to be able to be your own entrepreneur and be your own business uh, that just revolves around something that you love or revolves around something that you're doing. And so I want to teach people how to create content around things that they love and then build a business around that content that they're creating. And that's what I'm trying to do with my own platform. In a very long-winded way, that's kind of like where I'm at and that's what I do. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing. Amazing. So what do you think really led the Honey House to be the you know sensation in 60 days to a million followers? Like, what do you think was the thing? Was it the trend that you guys hit? Maybe something that people needed? Like, how, how yeah. would you describe it? It was almost like a mix of so many different things. Like it was the middle of the pandemic. So people were, everybody was indoors and so much time was being spent on phones. It was that mixed with, and also like with the pandemic, like with just so much like turmoil in the air. I think people were really looking for like an outlet that was like positive and like fun and like lighthearted and humorous. And like, we had all of that in our content. So it was almost like a great escape for people when they're on TikTok especially because also on TikTok, there is that other side of it where people were posting things from the pandemic. And so you're getting that there as well. And so I just think people like our content was a breath of fresh air. It was a bunch of people that were like talking about how we're all working jobs in the middle of a pandemic remotely living in a house with each other where we don't know each other and just like having fun with that. I also think that like me and my business partner, Nick Dio, one of my best friends, just like understanding content, both being creators and creatives ourselves, like just kind of knowing what worked on the platform. So it wasn't just like random people living in a house, not really knowing how to document it and show it. It was like random people living in a house, having fun with it, but with also the knowledge of like how videos work on the platform. And so we were testing stuff out for the first week of like, what videos are we going to do? We really had no idea what exactly we were going to do, but we were just like trying a bunch of different stuff. And then once we stumbled upon the, the idea of doing challenges, couples challenges and boys versus girls in the house challenges, that was really when it like struck a match and was like, oh, this is what's going to be what we're going to do every day. And from there, it was just like, it really started to snowball. Like we started to pick up momentum. Our account really started to grow and then just like took off. So now is there a new season coming? Is it going to be a YouTube series? Is it going to be a reality TV show? I know in one of the interviews you said you didn't want it to be a reality because you didn't want drama. So yeah. what's the next step? Yeah. I mean, like I'm just, I can't, I really don't like drama. Like I'm very non-confrontational myself. I love like good vibes and people having fun and like everybody enjoying their life. And so the first thing that we were, I when we were coming up with like the idea was like, 
let's do the new entourage of like people doing cool stuff in a house and like film people doing cool things in and outside of that house. But then we were like, well, we went and actually talked to a couple of people that had filmed reality TV shows or, or people that had produced shows like Entourage. And they were like, the main thing that you need in those shows is drama. And if you don't have drama, then like that show doesn't last longer than a season. And so we were like, all right, that's not what we want. So then let's do something else. And then that was where we were like, let's do, we all are really into fitness, health, wellness, positivity. Like, let's do like a couple's house where it's like, everybody's trying to get along and we're also trying, trying to do challenges and stuff. So we were like, no reality show in that way. And we also, while we were in the house and started having success, we had multiple production companies, the production company for Jersey Shore, the production company from Shark Tank, the production company from like big production companies that were coming to us and saying, can we turn this into a reality show? We'll send camera crews there. We'll have it all dialed in. And we ended up sitting and being like, we don't want that because we want people to enjoy their life in here. And if there's a camera crew, you know, like if there's, if there's real drama going on, like a couple's like not going through a great time and we've signed away to this camera crew that they can film whatever it just is like invasive. And we're like, if it's documented through, forever. That's yeah, the we're best like, part. If people <laughs> are going through stuff. Like we don't need to tell the audience that like we can have, you know, we want this to be like enjoyable for everybody. So we ended up not going that route in terms of like us wanting to do more afterwards. When we got done with season two, it was even more of a big undertaking because season two, we ran it more as a business. Like we put up all the money ourselves. We paid for talent in the house as if they were actual talent. It was just a bigger production. And with season two, we were like, it, it was a, because it was a bigger production, it was just a lot more time that went into it. Time and energy and focus and just like more. And when we got done with season two, both me and my business partner were like, we didn't enjoy it as much as season one. And so we were like, if we're going to do this again, it's got to be done the right way. We want it to be enjoyable. We don't know if we even necessarily want to be in the house anymore, if we're going to run it the same way. And then at the same time, when we got done with season two, we were like, we both got a ton of new opportunities on our plate. Like for me, it was working with brands and consulting with brands. I wasn't doing that prior. So I had a lot of time for my business partner. He started running a company called Vayner Talent, where he was representing TikTokers and YouTubers and creators as a talent manager. And so we both got like these new opportunities immediately when we ended season two that we both really have been enjoying. So we're kind of in this place of like, we're not forcing season three to happen. If it does, it, we also aren't forcing it not to happen. So like, if there is an opportunity where we're like, this is cool, we want to do this, we'll do it. Right now, we're both super happy with what we're doing outside of that. And so right now, there's no plans for it. Well, I love it. I mean, the content that you guys have on the page is amazing. So if everybody needs new ideas or creativity or something to do and Thank just you. have a good time, that's that's where you go. You go. I watched a bunch of older videos. So I'm like, I, <laughs> I really, great. really enjoy them. So highly recommend. Now, Thank you. In one of your latest TikToks, you did say that, you know, for a brand you recommend, they could repost user-generated content by multiple creators and keep using it, but it doesn't create consistency. So what you recommend is create finding one or two TikTokers or creators and then putting them as a face of your brand in a way, and then make sure that they run consistent content. It's engaging. Now, what do you recommend for smaller brands? Maybe the ones that don't have a huge budget, like... Gap or other brands, what should they do if they just starting out? Yeah. Where should they go? 
So smaller brands, I actually think have a easier time on something like TikTok because of the fact that the audience on TikTok loves the authenticity and the rawness of seeing behind the scenes of something and seeing the process of something. So like, if you think about on TikTok, back when the pandemic was happening, something that was absolutely enormous on it was like do-it-yourself projects at home. So people loved seeing like baking a bread. Yeah. Baking bread or like a shed in the back of the house that has never been like touched. And then like them going through the process of revamping that. And that same way works with business as well. I actually think that that's something that really works on TikTok that is underutilized is showing the process of you building the business, the flaws, the errors, the packaging that gets sent back to you that you're like, shit, this isn't what I wanted. The things that like people typically don't show on a platform like Instagram because it's just like the finally edited product or version. I actually think that that stuff on TikTok works really well. And so the small businesses on TikTok have an enormous opportunity because they typically play scrappier. They're willing to do things that big businesses have already redlined or red taped and been like, we don't, we don't talk about that. We don't show that. I think that that's something that small businesses on TikTok should definitely do. Uh, talking to the camera of like, hey guys, like this is this has been the hard parts of me running my business. This has been the struggles as a business owner or operator. If I was starting out as a new company with a small budget, the first thing I would do would be really learning how to film everything that I'm doing and talk to the audience and document that process because it's free. You don't have to pay for it. All you're paying for it with is time and energy. And if you can dedicate that time and energy the upside that you have is enormous. I love it. I love to say that invite the audience into your messy middle. Like, you know, when you're, you're not quite there yet of making it, but you're, you're just showing them all of the challenges and things that you're going through. Now, time and effort, your honest, <laughs> honest, realistic estimate of how much time do you spend on researching the TikToks, the trending songs, the trending sounds, trend alerts, whatever you're trying to post, making sure that, you know, you record it, post it. How much time does it take for you to create your content? So my content is actually, the ideas that I have are actually created in the conversations that I have like this. So the conversations that I have with people like yourself or brands or creators themselves give me more ideas to go create my content because my page is talking about the creators and business and that kind of world. So I'm not needing to necessarily spend a ton of time sitting and coming up with new ideas. What I do spend time sitting and coming up with is the ways that I will tell those ideas into my content. So forming the actual way that I'll film it and shoot it, it probably takes me like 30 minutes to do a longer one or a more like really thought out one. But for a lot of them, like I'd say probably 75% of my content is me just hanging up from a call like this with you and thinking about an idea and then just saying it into my camera of like, if you're a brand and you're looking for how to pop off on TikTok, here's what you need to do. Like talk about the process of it. Like the same way we just had that conversation. That's the way that I go and film a lot of it. For longer ones, I'll scroll and get maybe inspiration of like, you know, different ideas or things that I want to talk about. It's pretty much few and far between on that. A lot of it is just coming from the conversation I'm having. Do you have like a strategy or do you batch your content? Do you, you know, set up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays to create and post? Do you have a certain limit of amount of TikToks you post? Like, is there a hashtag strategy? 
great questions that I love that this is it's more like specific and tactical because I hope that it helps people that listen to this. So let's go through those. So hashtags, I think are great for me with the way that I look at them is actually two things that it does. It doesn't add to virality in my opinion. Um, what it does do though is the algorithm is always based off of your interactions and your content that you're use that you're posting. So when you join TikTok, you're a blank user. It doesn't ask you initially like what content you're going to be posting, but it starts to get an idea of who you are based off of the interactions that you have. So how much, what videos you're watching, what you're scrolling on, what you're liking, what you're commenting, and then also what you're posting, what you're posting, what you're hashtagging, what you're writing on the videos, all of that. Everything gives the platform more data on who you are. And so in that same line, I think that hashtags, what you are hashtagging gives the platform more of an idea and the algorithm more of an idea of who you are as a profile. So if you're hashtagging things that are in your niche, the algorithm go, can go, they're hashtagging cookies. This might be a cookies, a cookies company or like a cookies page. So therefore, I think like if you're putting out some hashtags that are in the same niche, you have a better chance of being shown to that niche as well. And so that's the way that I would use something like hashtags is like, if I'm trying to find people that are in social media marketing or, or I get shown on their for you page, I'm going to hashtag things like social media marketing, social media manager, social media news, that kind of stuff. That's one way. I also think that hashtags are a really underrated way of geolocating people. The only way that I know that, and this is actually not something that I was necessarily trying to do, but I started posting looking for people in Los Angeles to be the face of brands for TikTok. And I started saying, if you live in Los Angeles, check out this, you know, I'm looking for brands that are looking for creators and go to this, check this out. And I would hashtag Los Angeles, Los Angeles bloggers, Los Angeles food, Los Angeles times, all of that. And it actually like really worked as a like location-based tagging. Those are the two things that I think it's, it's useful for. I think it's useful to like get you in the algorithm into a certain niche or get you into the algorithm into people's locations. Uh, and that that second one is one that I didn't really know about. There's like little tips and tricks that I try to use. What about um, songs, trending sounds? Like, you, do you spend a lot of time searching for it? Sounds and trends, which are the same thing. I think that there's a way to kind of like know which videos are on the rise. I posted about it a handful of times. It's basically like if you click on the little circle that shows the sound on a video, and then you look at how many videos are being posted if it's somewhere between like 5,000 and 250,000 and the majority of the videos on that screen have been posted in the last week, you can kind of tell that it's on the rise uh, and that it hasn't popular been popular enough to where it's like really mainstream global success. And so like, that's the way that I kind of look at like, oh, this sound is like a trend that's like on the rise. There is apps like Trend Talk that you can use too that like does something like that. But like, I really think that original content for people rather than using sounds and trends is the way to build a following because I don't follow people that are just posting trends. I don't think that anybody follows people that are just posting trends. I think people, I follow people that are original. Wait, that's why I'm following you. <laughs> just You're fo yeah, Exactly. I think that people can follow other people that have original content and also do trends, but they end up following them because of the original content. And so what I tell people to like really look at is like find what you're really interested in and like post content around that post a series, come up with your own series that is like recurring pieces of content 
around what you're interested in or what your niche is or what your focus is. And then do trends, you know, for fun, for one-offs. If you don't have ideas, like then do them, but like figure out what that main substance is of the content and then go hard into that. Now, are you trying to post a certain amount? Like there've been rumors that there's, you know, you got to post seven TikToks if you're growing or three TikToks, but no more than five or something like that. Do you follow there's those? No, it's all speculation. There's no right or wrong. I try to tell people like post as much as you can to where you're posting every day. Try as hard as you can to not take a day off because of the consistency. I think the consistency matters. Um, if you take a day off, that's okay. But like, Try to just be as consistent as you possibly can. If you feel like every day you have enough content to be posting two, three, four times a day, then do that. But as long as the consistency is there, you're going to be in a good place. What about the time? Do you try to keep it to seven Not seconds, at all. 45 Not seconds? Not at all. Oh, oh, time of the video? Yeah. So I'm So I was thinking like time of day posting, which does not matter at all. In terms of like, time of the video, I try to think, I think that people just because of their attention spans watch shorter videos. So what I go into videos, like how can I make this the shortest possible to where it gives everything that is needed and is, and feels natural. So like if that, if you're talking about something and it's like, you have to ramble for a minute because you can't cut any of it shorter then do it as a minute. But if it's like, you're talking about something and there's a lot of like ums and ahs and you're, there's kind of like, filler sentences that you don't necessarily need. I would try to cut that down into, you know, a shorter 30 seconds, whatever amount of time that you can shorter, but just because people's attention spans on the platform are just so short. So basically quality over quantity and then everything else just doesn't matter. You just find that niche and make sure that create consistent content. Yep. Love it. I mean, I had so many misconceptions about things that you have to do, but apparently all of it is bullshit. Thank you. It, it really is. All of the things that I'm saying too are my own speculation based off of my own practices and understandings. TikTok is never coming out and saying, hey guys, like if your video is 32 seconds, it's going to go viral. They're never coming out and going to give that information. And at the same time, even when they are saying things like, like Instagram came out and said like, hey, we're now prioritizing video on the platform. But like at the same time, they might have 10 different iterations of their algorithm that is in play at all times. And so you don't know that your videos are getting shown on that specific algorithm that is prioritizing 15 second video. And so like your video might not work. And then you're like, oh, but they told me video is working. So what am I doing wrong? And it might just be that you're just not getting shown to the audience that you are ideally shown to at the beginning. And so therefore your views aren't high. And so like a lot of it is just up in the air where you're like, you just don't know. Like you just don't know why it didn't work. There's no, there might not be like a perfect reason why your videos didn't work. And so for that reason, I'm like, you always just have to be trying new stuff and testing and not being a slave to the views and being okay with like, you know, some videos aren't going to work and you spent an hour on it and some videos are going to work and you spent three minutes on it. And that's just the way that it goes because you don't control the algorithm. And that's literally been my story on TikTok. Some of the videos that I thought were like the best quality and the best content had like five views. And then some of the other ones where I'm like, what is this? It's like a million views for what? <laughs> I didn't even do anything. 100%. So it's been, it's been crazy. Now about people who talk about being shadow banned and um, being in TikTok jail and, you know, the algorithm trying to not show the videos to their 
for their content. A lot of larger creators have come out and said that TikTok is basically not doing the same. Is that something to do with their material or maybe TikTok is trying to make them pay for it? What's your opinion? Yeah, I think that there is the misconception of it. So I think that people look at Shadowban as like, the algorithm doesn't like me and therefore they're not showing my videos. There's something wrong with my content in the algorithm. So therefore it's, I'm getting low views, but should get higher. And what I think about it is, I think there's two things. One of them is I do think that people's videos that get flagged and get pulled down for community guidelines, whether that is you did something actually wrong, like there's something in your video that like they actually, that actually goes against community guidelines or your video gets pulled down for something that is not because of it and is a, and shouldn't have gotten pulled down, but got pulled down anyway. I do think that after that happens, you could be put on like a precautionary limit where what's happening is you're getting shown to a smaller group of people because of the flag that it's not automatically showing you to the main amount of people that it shows you to just to see how that first subset of people gets sees it. And if they do see it, okay, for a certain amount of time of videos you post, then you'll get back to being shown to the majority of people, almost like a, a limiter to just like make sure that you're really not posting content that is against community guidelines consistently. So, so how do you get I, out of it? You get out of that by posting the same content that you normally post that yeah, is good. healthy and not against their community guidelines until they pull that limiter off of you. So that's one way. The other way that I think is for majority of the people is that they're testing new iterations of the algorithm. And like, say you were shown to an audience of, say like your content was, is typically shown to the same audience of suburban moms that are aged 30 to 45. And like, they love your content. So it gets shown to the next audience automatically. But then the algorithm goes through a minor tweak where they're like, now we're going to show your content to art kids in the inner cities And like, that's the first subset that we're going to show it to. And they don't resonate with that as much. Now your content, rather than getting blasted out to the rest of the people, isn't getting the interactions that it normally does. So it's getting kind of like less and less views and getting pulled out of the algorithm. That is what I think is happening to a lot of people where they think they're shadow banned. And it's not shadow banned. It's the algorithm is trying new things with your account and testing new things with yours and other accounts. It's not just you that it's happening to. Yours and other accounts And they're just going through changes. And so you have to just ride that wave because you're not in control of that algorithm. And it's not that they hate you. It's that they're testing new things out. And you're just happen to be one of the accounts that they're testing new things out for. And that just sucks. Like that's where you don't own the, you don't own the algorithm and you don't have the back end of it to know like what's going on with it. This is like a perfect therapy session because like I am in the position where I think a few of my videos get flagged as a community guideline violation, which it wasn't. And some of them I uh, duetted someone. So their video stayed on, but my duet will pull down for no reason, which didn't make sense because it's the same video. Yeah, I think it also depends on the countries because for that person who probably created the video, their audience, as you said, suburban moms in LA, but my audience is maybe London somewhere else. And because of the country, that could be also the reason why, you know, that girl's video stayed and then my duet with hers got, got pulled down. So that's, that's another thing. But yeah, basically, as you're saying, just, just keep going, just keep posting. It really is like, it's so funny that you said that it's therapy because it really is. It's like, fuck, you can't control the things that you can't control. And we don't control the algorithm. And like, 
being at the mercy, that's why being at the mercy of views is really something that is challenging for people because innately TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are businesses that are going to prioritize the people that are putting the most money into their business. And we, as people that are on TikTok, are are free users. We are not paying TikTok to use their platform. We're not paying for the advertising that we're getting on our brands. And the people that are paying are going to people that be the people that are promoting their posts and are putting ad dollars into the accounts and are putting ad dollars into the platform. So from a business perspective, you have to think that they on the other end are thinking, how do we prioritize the people that are paying us, which are these brands putting ad dollars in? So they're for sure going to test different variations of the algorithm where they do prioritize paid content and they do prioritize those clients that are paying them rather than the people that are posting organically. That just sucks. Like, that's just like a thing that's just like, fuck. Like, we don't that's control life. it. <laughs> that's we life. don't control it. What can we do other than cry and be upset about it? And then like keep posting and trying new stuff and trying to figure out what works. That's really all that you can do. That and when things are going well for you, really pushing your audience to connect with you on platforms that you actually own 100% of. So like an email list or a texting community or uh, your own website or something where you are in control of it and you don't have to worry about an algorithm or you know somebody changing the foundation of it to where you're like, oh, I now have lost out on all of this list of people. So that's kind of really the only way that you can move it off of it. So you do the texting community. So I do I do have the newsletter and the email list, but you do the texting community. Can you yeah. walk me through why texting? I mean, what's the platform? And then why yeah. you think one is better than the other? I love the email lists. I think that I eventually will get into email, but I think that email is just a longer take on energy-wise and it's a longer like lifespan. Like I think that an email list is something that you kind of have to spend time putting together every week because you want to, I want to give something of substance if it's an email. And I think that texting is something that is just can be so quick. It's so natural for me. It's so easy for, especially my audience who is my audience and my crew of my SMS list is all people that are creators on their iPhone on TikTok. So I don't even know if a lot of them would be inclined to open emails and reply to emails and check emails as opposed to, I know. 100% every one of them is texting people and is on their iPhone. And so like a platform like Community, which is the SMS, the texting platform that I use, it's just really natural for me to be able to send out text messages to them that they can then click on and it just goes and opens their TikTok app or it like links them out to something else. It's just an easier pathway for me. And I feel like when you get a text from somebody like when they get a text from me and it pops up and it's my face and my name, if they've saved my name in their phone, like I feel like you do really feel like I am texting you because it actually is me sending all of those texts. I just think that it's a, it's a very personable thing. If I was really like selling products and I was a brand, I would say that email is definitely like something that is probably more beneficial. But for me as a creator, I'm trying to build a community of people that I like send love to and send messages to and send tips to. And I think that that's just a lot easier through texting. Do you send the same content as on Instagram and TikTok or you send other I, stuff? No, I don't. I actually, I don't send any of my, really any of my content, like links to TikToks into my texting community. What I'm sending is like writing out like tips and tricks that they can use or different ideas 
or trends that I see on the platform that they can go and film themselves or different like things that I feel like I needed as a creator. Like here's what I would charge if I was somebody that was just starting out or here's how you can monetize your profile. Or now I'm starting to send in brands that are looking for creators. So that's another big part of it is like, I'm sending in new brands that are looking for TikTok specific creators to come be the face of them in Los Angeles. And so they will then like, they'll see it all send in like health and wellness brand looking for local Venice creator to create 30 TikToks a day. You'll be filming in Venice, that kind of thing into it. And then they'll go and sign up and then I'll pair them with that brand. So I'll like put them on an email. Here's the brand. Here's John Smith. He wants to do that, like that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the next thing that I'm doing with the texting community. I love it. So is there a specific amount of text messages you keep in mind or just what, whenever, whatever you need to say, that's when you send it out? There's I want to no- send at least one a week. So I send at least one week of like weekly trends that they can go and film the next week that just give them ideas. And then I try to like sprinkle in some more. It really is just like off the cuff. It's like if I'm thinking of something that I know my whole community needs to hear, it's like I send that in. Like if I'm like, knowing yourself is the easiest way to know who you are as a creator. Like, I'm like, I just, that just came to me. I'm going to send that in. If it's like, you guys need to think about what you're pricing yourself at because brands are starting to ask a ton. Like I just think about it and then I just send it in. That's another nice thing about the texting thing is like, I'm not needing to formulate a whole email. Everybody opens text messages immediately when they get them. And so like, you know, unless you're, and it's insane, you're crazy, which you don't open text messages at all the open rate on text messages across the board is like 98%. So people are typically like, they get a text, they open it, maybe not respond to it, but they at least like see it. And so like, I try to send like good vibes throughout the day, like have a great day. Or I try to send like, here's what I think you should price yourself. Or here's a new brand that's looking for somebody. Are you interested? So I'm just sending stuff back and forth with them. I would like to do it more, but I think right now it's like a couple times a week. I love it. Everybody yeah. should sign up to your community. Yeah, please. Everybody, please sign I'm up. Sold. I wish I knew the number off the top of my head. It's probably something I should memorize. But yeah, please. It will be it linked out. in the notes. So don't cool. you worry. Now, in terms of Instagram, the same strategy, completely different strategy. Do you try to specialize in one or the other? Do you recommend people to go to do both? Do you repurpose reels and TikToks without watermarks? I do. Oh. <laughs> so I don't specialize in Instagram anymore. Instagram and like the growth of it was something that I took seriously when I was like maybe two, two years ago when I was like really posting a lot as like an influencer in fitness, health, wellness, workouts and hockey and training and all of that. And my girlfriend is has like, built a, a big following on Instagram and I've seen And she has that. an app. And now she has her own platform. Yeah. And I've seen the entire rise of that and helped her with that. And so I do know like Instagram and the tactics on it. But the way that I look at it as a platform right now is I actually think that it is people are migrating off of it. I think that they as a platform have not prioritized the creators on it. And in the past didn't hurt them because there was nothing that was better other than YouTube, which is a massive undertaking for anybody and really hard to grow on. So I think people took Instagram more serious, especially when they were starting out until TikTok. And then when TikTok came and people were having exponential growth in such short amount of time, it was like, okay, maybe there is other things than Instagram for us to check out. And I think that now people seeing the rise of TikTok are like, oh, I'm having more enjoyment on that platform. And my videos can get pulled into the thing called the For You page. And millions of people can see them. Whereas on Instagram, the only people that are seeing my stuff is people that are already following me. So there's a lot more like 
hacking of attention that you need to do on Instagram for people to follow you, to see you than there is on TikTok organically. And so I think that like, I do think you can still grow on Instagram. I think that posting re- a mix of reels and carousels and videos and static posts is the, the formula that I've seen people work the best. I think reels is the most potent, but uh, you definitely can still, can still grow on Instagram. My thought process is like, why am I trying to go so hard into a platform that is losing steam? Like if you're somebody that's starting out, it'd be like, what's the five-year plan of Instagram? Do I see it being something that is going to be rising? Or do I see it being something that is tapering off? Or is there better a better play in my attention and time somewhere else? And for me, if I'm looking at it objectively, I'm like, TikTok is a far better play for the next five years, just like based off of like the data and how many people are jumping on it and the rise of it and attention spans. Uh, and where attention is going, it's just like a more people are spending time on it, more people are going to it, and it's on the rise, whereas Instagram is on the decline. And so if anybody was just starting out, I would highly push them into going into TikTok. If they feel like Instagram is calling them, it's not a bad play. I think Instagram long-term is going to be, will be forever used as like a business card. Like, uh, this is what I do. This is who I am. Here's my friends. Here's my fam. Like just kind of like almost like a paint a picture of like who the person is, whether that's like entirely realistic of who they actually are or like who they're wanting you to think that they are. That's the way that I look at Instagram right now. It's like, I'm going to post stuff that is for the people that already know me or the people that when they see me for the first time, I want them to know what I'm up to, but it's not necessarily where I'm looking at building a massive audience right now as opposed to Instagram, uh, TikTok, less posting about who I am on the day-to-day and more about what I want the next people to know about because there is so much growth there and there is so much opportunity there that I'm like, I'm always fishing for new people on that platform. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. I love it. Now, what about YouTube? Like if you had to pick two platforms, you know, to, to concentrate majority of your time and repurpose content, where would you put, obviously TikTok is yeah. number one, number two, what would be the second? YouTube, I think has, you have to have the most amount of strategy going into it because YouTube as a platform is not content that people go onto to binge. They go onto it to search something. Typically, I do think that pe- there is people that go on YouTube and binge stuff. But I actually think that people that go on YouTube and binge stuff start by searching something and then binge all of the related content to that search. YouTube as a whole, to grow on it, you have to have content that people want to come and search for. Rather than TikTok, you're going on a TikTok with literally no intention of what content you're finding. And you're just scrolling the For You page and getting what they're giving you. And, so and no expectations YouTube, too. I think that's, that's the best exactly. part. You have no expectations. Exactly. And so it's almost like YouTube, you go with questions and TikTok, you go just kind of, you're just, you're just going. Uh, I think with YouTube to grow, you have to have that idea in mind of like, what content am I creating that people are going to search and then find me and then get their questions answered. And so I think that um, get their questions answered or get whatever they're coming for fulfilled. And so I think that there's just more strategy that goes into that. And it's a longer term play. I think at TikTok, it's realistic to look at TikTok in like a, like a three month window of building a profile and building a following. And I think that it's 
more realistic on YouTube of building like a two, like a 12 month or one year, two year, three year uh, growth stage. I really do think that YouTube is probably the best long-term play, long, long-term. I would put YouTube and TikTok in the same place, literally just basing off of how much in China people are doing on Douyin, which is the Chinese version of TikTok. That's the only reason why I would say that I think TikTok might be a long-term play like YouTube. But I think YouTube is a long, long, long-term play that people will go to for a long time. And so I don't think YouTube is going anywhere. It's just harder entry and it's just longer term play. But if you can do that, then I would say put your attention into TikTok and into YouTube because uh, it is definitely there and it is definitely something that will be around for a long time. And then repurpose the rest of the content on Instagram and then see what happens because maybe you'll scale. Maybe the reels is going to pick up. If you're making TikToks, it definitely works to make TikToks and then repurpose them on the reels because Reels is literally prioritizing content that is like TikTok to pull people from TikTok. So they want videos on their platform to be TikTok-esque so that people stop feeling the need to leave their platform and go to TikTok and they get it there. And so inherently, the best TikToks on TikTok will work on Reels. What about repurposing other people's content? Because I've seen a lot of pages on Instagram and then you, uh, I guess, TikTok pick up by just reposting other people's either from YouTube or creating TikToks, reposting them on the watermarks, obviously giving credit. What do you think? Is it a good strategy, bad strategy? Don't do it, maybe do it. If it's like supernatural to your audience and to your page, I would say, yeah, like there is some of those like reposting videos that uh, reposting pages that do a really good job and give credit and like build massive audiences. But if it's not like natural to you, then I wouldn't like force it. I think that that's another thing that that TikTok has done well with the duet feature and the stitch feature is allow people to almost like repurpose other people's content and kind of like piggyback off of it or like use it as like a diving board into like a different thing that they want to talk about or want to show. So that's the way that on TikTok, I would say to like repurpose or like uh, repurpose other people's stuff. Yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Now, the fun question about pay and how much creators should get paid based on music. I know you get a lot of usually comments about, you know, I have 35,000 followers, but no engagement. Should I get paid 10,000 per post? And then some million follower creators say, I got no views. Should I get paid thousands of dollars for a post? What's your take on the formula? Influencer pay is not dependent on followers or likes or comments or shares or saves. It's actually dependent on how much the people that are doing that engaging really care about what you're saying. So you could have a thousand followers and every single person that follows you absolutely adores you and would buy all of your products. And you could have a million followers and everybody just follows you because of your because you're funny, but they don't actually take anything serious that you would endorse. And so they would never buy anything from you. And so it's not dependent on the follower size. It's more dependent on how much the community actually really cares about you. And so like, that's why it's so hard to have a broad statement of, if you have a million followers, you should get paid $5,000 a post. Or if you have a thousand followers, you should get paid 50 cents a post because it's so depend. It's so case by case. Saying that if you have a really engaged audience, then a way that I would say you can kind of think about 
what you could be valued at is really thinking about what you would feel good with to actually spend time creating that content, plus how much of it you think you actually could sell, like how many products you actually could sell. So if they're selling a product for $20, like how many of your people in your, and you have a thousand followers, how many people out of that thousand followers do you really think would buy that? And that kind of comes from your interactions with them in the comments. That comes from your interactions with them in DMs. That comes from the amount of questions you're getting from them of people are requesting things like that. But you, you almost have a little bit of a knowledge of like, oh, I'm getting asked this a lot of like, what is this makeup that I'm using? Like I'm getting this in my DMs all the time. This makeup that I'm using, me endorsing it, I really do feel like I could sell 20 of these or I really do feel like I would sell 100 of these. Then you can kind of think about like, if I'm selling 100 of these and they're all $20 a piece, like that's $2,000 right there that I'm making this brand. So I think that I could charge more than $2,000 because that would just be a flat like wash. So it's kind of like thinking about like, how much do I think I could sell? Plus I'm adding that value by making that content myself. So how much do I want to charge for that time being put in? Plus maybe the risk of like me posting this to my audience. Like, so there's a little, there's like, there's a lot that goes into it. And it's not entirely black and white. It's kind of like dependent on you. And that's where like, you can make it up. Like literally you could honestly like throw out a number. If you're ballsy, like throw out a number. And like, if they accept it, like, cool, that becomes your new baseline that you're like, I don't accept anything less than this because this is what I get paid. It really is like case by case and up to you. And I really recommend people just like, what would you feel really good with? What number would you walk away feeling really good with? And then just try to like work your way up to that number. And then like that becomes your base. So I love that, especially if you want to reach out to brands, you know, and say, hey, I got this following. They're interested in X, Y, Z. I really think I can sell this. And this is my strategy. I think when you put that in the email or brand kit, it really shows the brand you've done your research in a way. And then you can actually back up with some numbers. Now, what if brands reach out to you? So for example, sometimes I have companies reach out to me and say, hey, for side hustlers and things like that, we're thinking this, could you promote? And the pricing is all over the place. I mean, some ask for exposure. And I mean, if I really like the app or a product or a company, I'll promote it regardless. Like I I do it all the time with different websites. But with some companies who reach out to you, what would be advice for the creators who are just starting out and they don't want to spook the, I guess, the brands away. They don't want to be ballsy and say, my rate is $5,000 because I heard it somewhere. But also like, you know, not sell themselves short to help the broader in industry, right? Because the problem is for creators who are smaller, create great content, take less, then other creators suffer because then they create, I guess, the new floor. And it's basically what I found is the problem in the creator industry. Well, I think with that though, I think creators... I really think that it's super important for creators to learn how to value themselves. The reason how I think they can learn how to value themselves is by having conversations with people that work on the brand side. This is how I learned is like asking my friends that worked for brands, like, what would you guys typically pay somebody with this following size, with this amount of engagement? And then when they tell me what I say, why is that the rate? And then that's how I learned like, well, they would sell, you know, like I was just saying 20 things of of, of makeup and that's $20 and, you know, that's 2000 or 200 or whatever. And like that could be times 10 because they have 10 times the following, like really understanding like why they pay the creators that amount. 
So then as a creator, you understand like, oh, I am worth $2,000 a post, or I am worth $500 a post. And the reason you need to know all of that is because then when a brand comes to you and goes, hey, we're coldest water bottle and we want to offer you $150 for 10 posts, you can say, that's a joke. I'm not doing that because I am worth $15,000 a post or whatever it is. I'm worth $500 a post. And when they go, oh, well, Becky and Jimmy are charging $20 a post, you can go, that's them. That's okay. I know I'm more, more valuable than that because like go I'm to Becky and Jimmy. I guess that's that's the, that's where that's where keep you going go. to them yeah. and like keep doing that. Like, cool, you're not the right brand for me. If you want to undervalue my work and my time, that's cool. Like, keep going to people that don't know how to price themselves. But like, I am worth this because I can back it into my audience. There's the potential of buying this amount of product or or see, getting seen by this amount of people, which then you guys could get could sell to that audience and like make that much more. It's just like really understanding your worth is super, super important. And that because it's not a black and white thing, because somebody can't just come out and say, you have a thousand followers, you're worth 200 bucks. Any of that is it's all case by case. It really is something that creators need to spend the time asking people for themselves to understand it. Totally, totally makes sense. And I mean, I'm in finance, so I, I do appreciate you mentioning the numbers game because at the end of the day for any business or a brand, they ask, what's in it for me, right? Like at the end of the day, they're a business, as you said, they need to make money, they need to sell. So for them, it's not just a fun expense to write it off, like they need to get something. Now, in terms of, I guess, for you, I mean, you posted one of the recent TikToks, should I quit my nine to five? (laughs) And I mean, I don't know if you have a nine to five or if you treat your job job as a nine to five or maybe 24 seven, but what would be, do you think, your recommendation for those people who are trying to hustle, have side hustles, maybe go all in on TikTok or any other platform? When do you make the leap? It's a touchy subject because I think that it's, again, it's so like case by case. Like number one thing for me is happiness. So like if you really feel like you are not happy with your work right now and you're in an environment that you don't enjoy, then the, the next question for me is like, what is the minimum amount that you need to make or be okay with to where you can leave that job? Or like, are you in a place financially to where you have to be at that job? Or like, could you find something else to where you could potentially leave that job and like get away with where you're at so you can find something that you're happy enough with? So that's the first question. If you do have the means to be able to leave that job, then I would say like, go as hard as you can into something that you're passionate about on TikTok or on whatever social media platform that is while working something on the side that keeps you afloat and keeps you hitting that like minimum that you need to hit every month to be able to not go back to a job that you hate. And I think that that's like what a lot of people are doing right now is like, which is honestly an amazing place to be in. I really think that the underrated hybrid is working a job that you enjoy enough that you don't aren't miserable at and doesn't drain you energy wise so that you can leave that job when you leave it at whatever time it is throughout the day and go back to your home. You can spend time doing the things that you really do enjoy and it doesn't necessarily need to make money for you right away. And I think that that's an amazing hybrid that I think more people need to consider is that like working, it's almost like two jobs. One job is the job that gets you by and doesn't crush you energetically or like it doesn't crush you emotionally. 
And then the second thing is like your side hustle, which you pour all of your passion into, but this doesn't make you money at the beginning, but eventually you want it to make you money. And I think that that's kind of the place that I want to recommend people to be in. I don't recommend people just like straight up quit their job and go all in on a creator unless they can. If they can, if you feel like, yo, I'm stable enough, I've saved up, I'm good with it. I feel good enough about this side hustle or about this other thing, then do that. But um, I really think that that kind of like hybrid model is something that's like a great play for people right now. I love it. It's like, you know, monetizing your hobby, find something you're good at that you enjoy and then monetize. And if it doesn't work, you still have something else because you can't walk away from your responsibilities. So I totally agree with that. And I mean, millennials are the inventors of the side hustle. Like we'd no longer have just one job. Like there's multiple opportunities, which brings me to my usual question is a millennial is a millennial should be and a millennial is not. So a millennial is Somebody born before the age of 95 and up to the age of probably right around now, like they would probably be like 33. A millennial is somebody that grew up with MySpace and Facebook being in then Instagram being their homepage and probably spent some time on AOL Instant Messenger when they were in their youth as well. You know what's funny? I actually consider myself a mix of the two. I'm, I've been born in 92. So I'm kind of like on the cusp. I kind of relate to both very similarly. So I'm like Gen Z in a lot of my opinions and creativity, but I'm millennial in a lot of the ways of like that I structure things and like look for work. I love, I love it. Okay, millennials yeah. should be. Like what should all the millennials be doing now? Millennials should do the work to be happy with where they are in life and not regretful or spiteful of the older generations. Love it. And then a millennial is not. A millennial is not meant to be working a job that they don't enjoy. Ah, I love it. Thank you. Okay. Perfect. Now, in terms of you, what's new for JT? What's next for you? I know you're working on a deck. I know you're finding people because you have a bunch of brands reach out to you like a ton. Yeah. What's what's going on? Um, so I want to build like a long, like long term, like right now I'm building this, this advising agency that basically like I'm building out a strategy team that teaches brands TikTok. So that's the thing that I'm immediately working on. And with that will come things like you just mentioned a deck, which is going to be more for just like anybody that wants to know how to crush it on TikTok. I'm just going to put out like free stuff for them just to be able to, to, to do it. Cause I want to help people. And then long-term with it, I want to start like a creator school. Like I really would love to be a teacher at an actual university, but I don't think that that will be the play. I think it'll actually be more of like a school that I create that teaches individuals how to become creators, actually film the content, and then turn that into a full business with eventually like really turning it into business where they release their own products or they do their own platforms or they do their own endeavors themselves. That's where I want it to get to. And uh, I think that starts with like what I'm doing right now of like building out this little texting community. And then that texting community will turn into like Zoom sessions with the people in that community. And then that'll turn into like maybe meetups. And then that'll turn into like, okay, we're going to do a weekend getaway. And I think that just like eventually turns into like a full on school. I love it. Absolutely love it. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would 
obviously appreciate your school because it'll be teaching the necessary skills in the new age. I'm very big on future-proofing yourself. And as you posted one of the TikToks from Kevin O'Leary, like arts is the new next thing. And you, you got to be good at it. You got to understand it. And uh, it's no longer the starving artist. It's the new normal. I would definitely sign up for the community, for everyone who's listening. Check out JT's profile. All the free content that he's putting out, that's awesome value. And where do they find you? So everything for me is at JT Barnett. There's a, like my other ones, the Honey House is the TikTok, the TikTok Creator House. My new Instagram is just JT from TikTok. But um, pretty much everything is at JT Barnett. Now, is there anything we haven't talked about or mentioned that you would like to tell the audience to share something? No, honestly, like I think this is a good podcast. I think we actually touched on a lot of like tactical like things. If people are creators, I would say to anybody that is that doesn't view themselves as a creator, I actually think that I would urge you to spend time looking at your passions and hobbies that you might think of as something that nobody finds interest in and think about starting to talk about that stuff on the internet because I actually believe that everybody is a creator naturally but has just been, you know, put things over top of that and that's been kind of pushed down within them. And so I think that there's a creator within everybody. And I think that you spending the time to like get back to that of like, what is it that I enjoy? And then how can I tell that story? Or how can I talk about that on the internet? The reason you should do it is because it's no longer just something that like would be fun or would be nice to like maybe get off your chest. It's actually something that could be enormously beneficial from a financial or from a career perspective, because like you said, the next 20 years is going to be about creators and artists. I absolutely love it. I, I usually say, you know, everybody has a choice to be a consumer or a creator. And if you think you're not a creator, you just haven't found the focus or your niche. That's all yep. it means. I completely agree with that. Hey, thank you for being with us today, JT. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. 